Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! It's Lesbian Week at Dark Night of the Podcast, where we're talking about nothing but lesbians all week, nonstop, toy lesbians. What do you think about them? <laughs> They're great. I fucking we love them. And it's been a lesbian-themed last couple episodes of Dark Night of the Podcast. We had that lesbian in night school that ran the girls' school that was sleeping with all the students. And now, whew, we get some 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 hot uh, rough looking lesbians to talk rough. about. <laughs> rough, angry, um, hostile, and just like really taking out their anger on all on other people in all kinds of ways in this fucking movie. Um, it's funny because I do think that this film, it's been a long time coming down to this for an array of reasons. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the major factor here being that we are a queer themed horror movie podcast. Inevitably, we're going to talk about this movie. But Troy, I can tell already from you and I both having discussed it a bit that this is a movie that I think at one point was probably pretty important to both of us. Absolutely. This film is probably one of the earlier examples of the French extreme films that came out uh, in the early 2000s that really, honestly, shaped a a lot of my my vision and my... uh, aesthetic as a filmmaker because it had been so long since you saw films just come out and be so bold yet beautiful with their gore uh and with their their gore sequences that was something that was very staple of like argento but going through the 80s you didn't really have that you didn't have a lot of films that were using gore as a as a like i hate to say this word but like as a beautiful thing right it, it was more of like Let's let's just get as much blood all over the place as we can. Yes, the kills in high tension are fucking brutal, but there's also just like almost a beauty to how they're set up. And you just weren't seeing that. So when this came out and I saw it, I was in absolute awe of the film. Uh, It it was my first viewing. I thought it was meticulously constructed. And then it was followed by several great other French extreme films that kind of fell under that same umbrella of really making violence a focal point, but yet making it gorgeous and, and something that is like stunning to look at. You had frontiers, which is my personal favorite uh, martyrs. So there was a bunch of them, but yeah, this was really influential because you just hadn't seen something that relished in its brutality for such a long time. I mean, you had like scream in 96 that really ushered in the slasher, craze the slasher the resurgence of the slasher film but scream was so tongue-in-cheek and everything else that followed was sort of following that same formula this film just comes out of the gate swinging with a serious brutal tone and you hadn't seen something like that in a long time oh yeah i think there's a few things you said to kind of take away from that first you know you you mentioned argento and i think one thing here that really also carried over into this this French extreme 
uh, or just you got, I mean, honestly, European cinema, or like late 90s, early 2000s, really started to evolve into something very visceral and very, very beautiful. Um, and it does kind of hark back to like Argento. And when I think of that, I often think of style over substance, which I would not necessarily say applies to some of the movies that came after this film. But this film specifically, when, you, when you're comparing the visual elements to the storyline, it's a very simple story with some really, really brutal, just visceral visuals. Um, and I think really that's kind of like what has helped keep this film at least in somewhat of a positive uh, response from viewers, though I know a lot of viewers out there feel that all this has is going for it is the visual elements. Um, but I mean, I've got to say when it comes down to the visuals, like it can't be denied, like director Alessandra Aja. Is it Aja, Asia? Say it for me. I think it's Alexander Aja. That's how I, I, I say it. Aja. I okay. Could be I've always said Aja, but that sounds like the Clevelander in me saying <laughs> that. Alexandra Aja. Uh, we'll keep it real loose and kind of like loose in the jaw. So no matter how I say it, it sounds right. Um, you know, this was his, his first film to really leave an impression on American viewers. He, he had like one project prior to that that really... Uh, I think maybe got him on the map as a director, but this was the film that got him seen around the world. And this film, if anything, if there's anything for me to take away from this movie, it's the series of films that came from this director because he has definitely defined for himself a specific sense of style, a beautifully grotesque sense of of violent visuals that we have come to expect from him as a filmmaker. I mean, he followed this up with the Hills Have Eyes remake. It's one of my fucking favorite remakes of all time. And, you know, you want to talk about gross, disgusting, bloody, gory violence. I mean, that definitely carries over into that film and beyond for him. Hills Have Eyes is one of the rare rare remakes that I think is better than the original film. And, you know, Asia really has carved himself out as being a true roger master of horror i mean there's a lot of them out there these days and so it seems troy but this gentleman i mean he ain't he's not calling himself a master of horror he is a master of horror because we acknowledge him to be that there is a difference so so for those of you out there who choose to acknowledge yourselves to be a master of horror. I may ask for secondary opinions from other people around you. You that may be proven to not be the case. But but back to Alexander Aha, definitely a master of horror. <laughs> but the film, you know, the film we're talking about today, if you haven't figured it out, guys, is High Tension, uh, the 2003 French extreme, European extreme. I really like that phrase better actually because there were other countries during the same time period that were producing these visceral horror films belgium for example had calvaire i don't know if you've ever seen that if you have not seen it we are covering it we actually got a request to cover it so crazy ass film but that's from belgium so yes european extreme and you know i remember this coming out and just there being such a buzz around it uh particularly because of the the violence. I know, you know, when it first hit like home video in the US, there were many copies that were available that were like R-rated, so you don't get to see any of the any of the violence. Um, which I don't want to say is the sole purpose to watch the film, but when you're missing out on it and when it's such a prominent integral part of the film, it is kind of depressing. So if you've if you've never seen the actual 
real uncut version, it is a sight to behold in terms of practical effects. But um, there's a lot to talk about with this film because, yes, there is that heavy lesbian theme that runs through the film. You, you get an interesting, quote unquote, protagonist with the character of Marie. And, you know, right away, Roger, the film starts in the kind of this haunting manner. And I don't know, do you want to dive right into the twist right away or do you want to pretend the twist doesn't exist until we get? Because I know people hate this film. They despise this film because of the twist that they say makes zero sense and comes out of nowhere, where I would argue the complete opposite. There are so many clues throughout this film leading to the twist reveal that it almost is like when you're watching it a second or third time you're like oh shit how come how did i not catch this like it becomes so obvious i say that we just fucking hit our listeners with it right off the bat and we just acknowledge the twist for what it is because i think it is going to be our main talking point here um you know one of the things i can say about this movie it's been it's been a hot minute since i've watched it so coming back and viewing this film years after the fact like literally years and i own this movie on dvd but i just never sit down to watch it there was a time i fucking adored this twist this was one of the first examples of this specific twist that i as a as at that time a young horror viewer still in high school had really had a chance to be exposed to. So it felt so fresh at the time. Now coming back and revisiting the twist with a greater just understanding of, I would say cinema and craftsmanship in general and, and, you know, developing story, tying strings together and so forth. There's a lot of things to explore here as to whether or not this twist works. So I say we throw the twist out at them after we tell them that they better go and fucking leave us a five-star review on our Apple Podcast. <laughs> Apple Podcast, yes. Hit that five stars. We've stalled. We have stalled. It has been so long since our, our review rating has gone up. It's been at 45 forever. One of you, one of you, please, if you're listening to this on your iPhone, pull up Dark Knight of the Podcast, scroll down, click the little five stars. You don't even have to write a, rate, a review. If you do, it's great. We'll shout you out. But we want, we want to get to 50. 50 review, 55 star ratings. Also our Patreon. We got to acknowledge the Patreon. I feel like we shortchange it. Right now there are 60 plus bonus episodes on our Patreon. 23 of them are full length reviews, just like this one, just like our chopping mall one, where we literally review a film for two hours. We've covered some great films that we typically would not cover on the podcast. So check that out. It's patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. You can join it just for like two bucks a month. We'll get you access to several little bonus mini episodes. Um, But with that said, I feel like it's time to dive muff deep into high tension. Muff deep. And I mean, if there is one movie that I would say that it deserves that you and I two gay men get muff deep, it would be high tension because there are so many things about this movie that just make me think of such an important time for me as a horror fan. This is, I think, really at the point in my life where I realized that this was more than just a strange uh, interest. It was an obsession. And it is movies like this that really define that for me over these, you know, late high school into my early 20s, hugely defining for me. So regardless of what this review turns out to be, there is a lot I have to say about this title 
that comes from a place of just intense respect and, and adoration for it. I'm not going to say I necessarily feel it holds up in every aspect for me now, revisiting it so many years later. But as a teen, this movie was groundbreaking for me. Um, and the twist did leave my jaw on the floor at that time. It really did. I was blown away. I didn't care. It didn't make any sense. I never saw it coming. When I saw this twist, Troy, I was shocked. What about you? Oh, the the first time, yes. The first time I saw the movie, the twist got me out of left field. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck is this? How does this make sense? You know, but I still appreciated the film for everything that led up to the twist and even just having the balls to do the twist and give this killer a motivation that we would think, you know, wow, you're, you're slaughtering a whole family because you're obsessed with this particular, your, your friend, your best friend, you know, it, uh, it, it's, it's a very visceral twist. I will say, and I said it before, I hear so many people though, that say that the twist comes out of nowhere and doesn't make sense. But right away, Roger, there are several clues, including the opening scene. Like the opening scene of this film is Marie, who was our, quote unquote protagonist sitting in a hospital room. We don't know it's Marie right away, but we figure it out because there's a flashback of her running through the force. But in her voice, she, she keeps repeating. Uh, I won't let anybody come between us anymore. I won't let anybody come between us anymore. I won't let anybody come between us. anymore. It's whispered over the opening credits of the film in Marie's voice. And if you're not thinking about that, uh, in terms of the twist, why else would she be saying that at the very opening scene of the film? I mean, right there, it's hitting you with a very, very prominent clue. And that's before the opening credits even start to roll. I think at the end of the day, the issue does not lie within the twist itself, but several key things that happen over the course of this storyline and tying that into... The, the, war, the realm of possibility, like plausibility. Like there are several key things that happen over the course of this movie that it's just not plausible that she could have gotten from point A to point B in this method. How did she actually have this injury happen to her? Does she flip a car? Where did that come from? Uh, where's the truck come from? Key things here that I do need explained for me to this day. Do I mind the twist in the sense of shock factor and what it brings to the story? No, no. Like, I think it's still like a, a really interesting character analysis of somebody whom is madly in love with this individual. And she obviously feels that she cannot pursue this romantic relationship with her best friend, Alex, who I'm sorry, I'm convinced they've gone down on each other multiple times. I am convinced there is a hint of a romantic relationship here that Alex is avoiding because she's purposely talking about all the, the dudes she's banging and so forth and so on. And I feel like it's almost kind of like similar energy to like when you get straight dudes in college who are experimenting. And so they're trying to be extra, like extra macho, but like secretly they're sucking dick in the locker room. That's Alex to me, only as a lesbian. She's a hidden lesbian. She secretly wants to fucking get with Marie and Marie smells it all over her. And God, she wants it. What do you think about that? Well, there is a moment in the film coming up where when, when they get to uh, Alex's house, it's it's revealed that there's a picture of Alex and Marie on the fireplace mantle that has been placed there because, you know, I, I recognize you from the picture. So, yes, I do feel like there are little small underlining things that hint at Alex and Marie having this yeah, sexual 
chemistry, possible sexual relationship together. But we do know that Marie is definitely, definitely madly in love with Alex as it's revealed through through various dialogue. This opening scene, we get Marie whispering over and over, I won't let anybody come between us anymore. I won't let anybody come between us anymore. We get a flashback of her running through the woods, that car crashing, her running up to the car and pounding on the window. And then we cut to Marie waking up in the backseat of the car while Alex drives. We find out that they're headed to Alex's parents' farmhouse for the weekend to do some studying. Sort of another little twist reveal is set here because Marie tells Alex about the dream that she has. And she's like, somebody's chasing me through the woods. I'm hurt. And Alex is like, well, who's the guy that's chasing you? And Marie responds, you know what? It's funny. It's me. I'm chasing myself. Which is the whole, basically the entire plot of the movie is right there. Because, yeah, let's get the twist out of the way. Marie is the killer, ultimately, in the film. We are treated to about 70 minutes of this sweaty man in overalls that we think is the killer slaughtering all these people indiscriminately, but it ends up it's it's really Marie that this was happening in her mind, so to speak. And, you know, I do, you know, I do think I, I do remember like reading something from Alexander Aha that has always stuck with me when somebody there's an interview, you can find it. I think somebody asked him about what you were just talking about, all these inconsistencies in the film and things that just don't seem plausible. And his response was well, it's plausible because it's all happening in her mind. We are watching we are watching her vision of what happened that night. So everything we see is is her her imagination, her vision, her delusion. So it doesn't necessarily at the end of the day have to make sense because we as the audience were watching her delusion. And I guess that's a good enough explanation for me. I don't know. I mean, that's that's what he claims. Maybe he just came up, pulled it out of his ass, but yeah, you know, I guess in general, like, I'll accept it for what it is in the sense of, like, that's the the reasoning. And, like, it it if that's the goal, if that's what that he was going for, that and what we are seeing is just how she's envisioning it. And, and what I'm assuming is a schizophrenic state. You know, she obviously has what I'm assuming are multiple personalities. And so what happens when the one personality comes out, well, the other personality has to be suppressed in some way, shape, or form. So if it's creating an alternate kind of storyline for her, okay, like, I'll I'll roll with that too. I'll roll with it too. I do think that, you know, I, there are certain things here that I do question physically exist within this world, like the truck. Like, let's just mention this truck. So is it, I mean, I guess is the truck maybe the family's truck? You got this whole sequence here of this guy fucking getting a blowjob from a decapitated head. Like, right off the bat, you're getting blowjobs with decapitated heads with this dude. I guess none of that's actually real, including the Jeepers Creepers truck. But it's such a pivotal aspect that both she and Alex are interacting with. So I do kind of question, like, I almost wish I could see a version of everything that happened from Alex's perspective so I knew exactly how they got to be there at the end of the film. You get what I mean? Yeah. Well, Alex Alex is very well aware that uh, Marie is the killer. Like, it's not, like, toned down that we're being tricked that Alex doesn't realize that Marie is the killer because at the very end... She's right away. She's like, get the fuck away from me. You murdered my whole family. So the whole time, Alex has been aware that Marie has done this. Yeah, there are little things. I, I'm assuming, yeah, the family tr- 
vehicle got them to wherever they end up and got that, that, that creepy ass greenhouse. But I mean, I think the dialogue though, if we go back to this opening scene, the dialogue between Alex and Maria is so interesting, you know, right away you get this like hostility that comes out when Alex mentions that Marie's only tired because she was, she's, she was drunk and, Marie's like, well, yeah, well, what was I supposed to do? You left me and you, you went, you went off with God knows what God this time. And I mean, she literally calls her a slut several times in the film (laughs) and, you know, but it's very lighthearted, you know, Alex doesn't get upset about it. She's like, oh, you know, you're just whatever you're just a prude. And so there's this conversation, but you, you automatically see that there is some underlining hostility that Marie has knowing that Alex is a slut and, and, and does hook up with guys, it really bothers Marie. And it's become, it's very apparent in, in her reaction, physical and verbal reactions to these types of conversations. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I do feel that a little more backstory on these two prior to this, all of this, I, I think would have done this movie so much good because the thing is, 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 you know, there's obviously this whole, infatuation that exists with Marie uh, for Alex. But I I look at Marie and I say, there's no way this woman is a closeted lesbian. Like this is a butch fucking truck driving woman. Like this woman, she could, she could install a a porch within 10 minutes. You'd have a porch in your backyard. She built the whole thing. She'd cut down the tree. She sanded it down. She did it by hand. It's very impressive what these women can do. And she is a prime example of a badass fucking lesbian. I love that for her. I don't want to imagine that she is a character who is in any way like not out or not completely aware of who she is. Um, So I do, I guess, I guess I wonder like this whole mental journey that she goes through with how she processes this relationship with Alex There's obvious, I mean, obviously there's like a toxicity to the friendship because she's instantly calling her a slut. She's coming for Alex multiple times. And the little bit of time we get to see them together as friends, there is definitely some intense judgment going on. Um, And it's clearly stemming from the fact that she wants to technically be with Alex. And apparently that is not something that's possible. But I just, I don't know, like... If one thing hasn't aged well about this film, it's it's just what I'm assuming is the self-hate or the self-just-internalized like dilemma, whatever it is she is struggling with. It, it's hard to not associate that with her being such a fucking lesbian. You get what I mean? Like it, it is because we get so little time spent with these characters and all we get is this short butch lesbian haircut and a very masculine wardrobe. Like clearly this gal's a lesbian and she's also mentally unstable. And that's all, that's all I know about the character of Marie. And since it is just such a thin, thin bit of development to chew on, it's, it's hard to not associate the one with the other. And that is what I think has aged poorly about this film. Yeah, I do see this film occasionally brought up by people that that discuss the problematic element of the film in terms of Marie being a lesbian and that being kind of the the trigger for her murdering. I don't know. I mean, it, it's you are right. There's such a cookie cutter thin relationship built that it's really hard to determine like what her 
real motivation for the killing is. On one hand, it almost seems like she's just a fucking psychopath. And you know what? Lesbians can be psychopaths. Gay men can be psychopaths. Transsexual people can be psychopaths. It's not a inherently straight thing. How many movies have we sat through with straight psychopaths killing, trying to kill their love interest? We see it all the time. So, I mean, from that perspective, I, I don't really find it problematic. But I, I think the problematic aspect comes in, in in terms of it's so paper thin here that it's really hard to determine like what is the the real motivation because at the end of the film it almost sounds like and at the beginning of the film it almost sounds like she thinks that Alex's family was going to try to come between them. So is she concerned that Alex's family was going to realize that Marie was a lesbian and and cause you know an issue there and tell Alex that she can't be around? I don't know. It's it's never fully explained. Can we also acknowledge this film? Yes, Roger. There's very little dialogue in this film. Most of the dialogue in this film happens in the first ten minutes, and then the rest of the film is virtually silent. So you really have to take these first 10 minutes of the characters conversations and run with what you're given, which is not a lot. Yeah. I think really the, the big, the big issue really lies within the fact that because we just get so little time at all with these characters, we're basically kind of forced to create the rationale for ourselves as to why we think Marie is doing what she's doing. And really when all you're given is a very lesbian aesthetic, your mind instantly goes to she's doing it because she's gay. And that is, in its simplicity, just what has not held up very well. If they would have given me more of just a journey for her in general, I'd probably be okay with it. But I really feel like at the end of the day, she's just crazy because she's a lesbian. (laughs) And that's all. That's it. You're right, though, in saying, like, you know, anybody can be insane, straight, gay, queer, trans, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Because this is one of the first primary examples of also a queer whore, quote unquote, protagonist, though she really is not. I mean, she's the villain of the fucking movie. But I can't think of a ton of films in general that have a very queer focal character. This coming out the way it did, I remember like it was a big to do. It was that movie about that lesbian killing people. That's how people were talking about it. It was the movie about the lesbian. Everyone knew she was a fucking lesbian. So for this to be like one of the landmark films that I would say does define queer whore, um, I think that's why some queers are a little quick to judge it because of the issues that we've just voiced. If we had more examples of strong lesbian characters in general, I don't think it would sting so much. But how many movies can you sit down and say prominent lesbian focal character in a horror movie? Yeah. Well, I mean, when they do portray her as being like a fighter, I mean, she's a badass. There is that, you know. Uh, but I mean, again, but the the reveal of the movie kind of makes it all null. So yeah, they they're they're headed to um, Alex's farmhouse, and we do get a, a small scene of this house, which is absolutely grotesque looking. It's isolated. It's in the middle of nowhere. The mother is out hanging her laundry, and there's this little whiny kid, this Tom. Who ends up being Alex's brother, who is in his little cowboy hat waiting around to see Alex. And and then we do cut to the scene of the the male in his Jeepers Creepers truck getting oral sex from a head that he promptly tosses out the window. And the head strongly resembles Alex. It's not her, but it strongly resembles Alex, which is kind of a little, I think, an intentional little moment as well. 
I purposely wanted to read into these moments like more. Like I wanted to create some connectivity for myself as to like, okay, why, what is happening here that is connecting Marie to this character? And I do wonder if like these are representations of girls that she has felt similarly for prior to. I th- I'm thinking, I'm thinking it also maybe, uh, you know, I was thinking about this scene as well, because when you talk about scenes that just maybe don't make a whole lick of sense, this is one of them, right? But I was thinking, you know, with their with their sexual sort of innuendo conversation in the car, I wonder if Marie, it caused Marie to lapse into this hallucination, this delusion of her getting oral sex with a girl because she she's, was made sexually aroused by thinking about Alex having sex with a guy. So it automatically launched her mind into the sexual thought. And that's what we're seeing on screen. That was sort of my th- interpretation of, of this particular scene. Yeah, well, even she has this moment coming up soon here where she has a very erotic moment for herself. And it's still, it's separate. It's very separate from what's going on with this individual who, you know, let's be real, this killer. Let's talk about him for a moment. This random man in like a derby cap who's just walking around fucking skulls and buzzsawing people. I mean, no rhyme or reason. I mean, he's just doing it. Like this guy is just on a mission to cause murder and mayhem. And that's all you're giving about this character. Now, yes, he is obviously a visualization, a personification of her other mental state. So at times when you're seeing him, you're actually seeing some form of representation of what's going on within her head. Um, But like, you know, how does he hit you? When you watch this movie now, like, do you find him effective? What do you think about this guy? I still think this guy is a pretty effective killer. He looks gritty. He looks slimy. He looks greasy. He's fucking ruthless. I mean, this guy, quote unquote guy, this guy is killing dogs. He's killing kids. He, he, he's inflicting the the most painful deaths imaginable on his victims. So I do think as a slasher villain, this guy who's credited in the, the credits as just the killer is super effective. Uh, his his creepy interaction he has with that gas station attendant later on in the film. I mean, definitely, uh, I would say an effective killer. You know, when you're looking at a slasher villain, the relentlessness and brutality of this one definitely stands out. Like, he is fucking brutal. Well, and they make some bold choices with the individual in general. Like, it's not like he is a mute representation of Marie's mental state. Like, the guy talks, he cracks jokes, he's... He's chatting people up at certain points. He doesn't have a ton of dialogue, but he's not a mute killer. He's also a killer who is completely like revealed. Uh, you see his face pretty much right off the bat. Um, he is often wearing a hat that kind of like obstructs his face a little bit, which you know I appreciate. It's not like you're always getting a completely clear, clear visual of this guy, but he's still like they're not trying to hide who this guy is. He is a older you know slightly older than middle age heavy set average joe driving this fucking truck and and i think there's something in his overall just ordinary traits the 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 elements of him that i think look kind of just like an everyday person that you might see out in public at a store you know shopping at a fucking heinen's or a grocery store or something he looks like someone you just might see out in the public. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. Again, the representation of the element of, of this element of her mindset of who she is, the fact that they went with an older middle age kind of gruff man 
does make a lot of sense to me when you're looking at her overall journey and who she is as a person. Okay, so after this decapitated head is thrown out the window, we cut back to the car. Now Marie is driving as Alex sleeps, and there's this moment where Marie keeps staring over at Alex, just like admiring her. And Alex even says, keep your eyes on the road. And the song, there's this song playing on the radio through this entire scene that has these lyrics about like it keeps saying someday I'll be with you girl so and I I didn't rec- I didn't really pick up on the lyrics until like my third viewing I'm like oh my gosh okay so that's a, kind of even another little hint is that the songs that are playing in pivotal scenes oftentimes are about desperately wanting to be with a woman so it it, it it's very clever use of of music um, as they're driving down this long driveway to her parents' house Alex says oh I see somebody in the corn. So she makes Marie stop, pull over. She immediately gets out of the car, darts into the cornfield. Alex follows her, and we get all these like noises in this cornfield. It's supposed to be suspenseful, but what it is is basically it's just Alex playing a joke on her because she Alex gets back in the car and starts driving away. So Marie has to has to chase her. So you kind of again get a little bit of insight into their 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 relationship. The the what's the word I'm like the playfulness that these two share as quote unquote friends flirtatious it is a very flirtatious friendship Alex I think she plays a lot of games like why you gotta play games Alex come on now like I think again it's pretty clear I think that Alex knows that Marie wants to get Muff diving into her puss puss um and it's I mean it's hard to deny it I mean because all Marie does is just fucking gawk at her. The whole fucking time, she's just swooning over this gal. Which, like, let's be honest. Like, Alex, she's fine. She's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm a gay man, so maybe this is, it's just not my cup of tea. But uh, whatever floats your boat, Marie, it drives you to murder people. Um, you get introduced to this family. Pleasant. Ple- I mean, a pleasant family. Horrible house. You're right. I, I would never want to go to this house, ever. This poor child walking around wearing that fucking cowboy hat, no friends, nothing. He's got nothing but that goddamn dog. Uh, and then, he, yeah, I mean, like, it seems like a, a fine enough setup, but like, I would never want to go visit this family in the middle of rural fucking France. I mean, which actually does sound lovely, but not, not this place. This place is a little too rural for my taste. Yeah, yeah. Uh, her dad is, Alex's dad is very pleasant, very pleasant. Like I said, there's this mention of him recognizing her from the photo that's on the mantle. Uh, and yeah, and they go into this house. It's very just like run, run down, decrepit looking. Alex has to put little Tom to bed. So she shows Marie where her room is. It's going to be upstairs, the guest room. And, you know, Alex's mom calls her. So she goes to see her mom while Marie goes upstairs to investigating it settled in and she goes she's looking around the room she goes into the bathroom takes a drink from the faucet opens the medicine cabinet to look and closes it we get a jump scare because maria is in the reflection behind her and has this little wind up monkey and they have just like this little kind of nothing conversation where alex is just like oh how do you like the place and marie's like well what did it used to be it was an old farmhouse my dad just remodeled it he didn't do a very good job. Let me put put that out there. Um, and then they go downstairs and they're having coffee in the kitchen and there's more conversation about Alex basically being a slut. That's the only real point of, of any development between these two is, is Marie's judgment of Alex's slutty ways, uh, which doesn't make for her to seem like the best of friends. 
like, honestly, Marie's kind of a shitty friend to Alex. Oh, yeah. Alex says she's not into single guys because if they're worth something, why are they single? Alex even asks Marie, are you going to take the plunge? Meaning, are you going to finally get into a relationship? And yeah, Marie's response is, I'm not a slut like you. I mean, and it does make me think, like, when she's talking about, are you going to get into a relationship? Like, it does kind of sound like she's like, are you going to start dating guys? I'm like, are you really going to tell me, Alex, that you are friends with Marie and you don't look at her and at least suspect that this woman's a lesbian? Like, come on. It is so clear that this woman is obsessed with you. But I think there's people that keep people like this around to keep yourself feeling good. Um, Because I I really, I don't understand what their relationship is building towards here. I feel like inevitably, if she didn't kill everybody, I think Marie would just end up being brokenhearted by this broad. Well, Marie goes out for a cigarette. Alex goes to bed. And um, there's this moment where right before Alex, right before Marie walks out the door, she turns to Alex. She says, I'm glad I finally met your family. Why? So you can fucking slaughter them all? They're so pleasant to you. Like, why the fuck would you kill these people? We we do get the scene of her outside with her cigarette. She goes and sits on the swing and there's some cool camera work here as the camera is like circling around her. She's swinging it and the camera kind of finally stops at this window at the top of the house. No curtains, just right broad, broad window, just right pure view is Alex taking a goddamn shower. Her, her breasts, butt, pussy hanging out and everything. And Alex sees this and it's hilarious. She immediately gets her ass off that swing set goes into her house or goes into the house, goes up to that bed and starts fingering herself. I, I mean, earlier she was fucking skulls in in her other mentality and her other persona. So she's got some pent up sexual energy. I mean, what better than Alex's dark brown nipples to send me into a sexual tizzy? Um, yeah, she is ready to flick it. I mean, the moment she sees Alex butt cheek naked in that shower, she is off like lightning and she heads right on up to that bed and you do get like a really significant masturbation sequence i very much remember this scene i remember the first time i saw it being like oh my god i'm watching a woman finger herself it was quite shocking it's not as graphic as i remember it but it does like kind of build and you know her orgasm is building and swelling as this man is approaching the property and so it does make for a rather suspenseful like kind of back and forth um, because she really doesn't have any idea of, of what's about to hit. Yeah, and she's listening to the song on her Walkman, and the song again has lyrics about, "Oh, you're just another girl that I want." I mean, it's again, all these songs are so just expertly placed over specific scenes. And if you listen to the lyrics, like I said, it's a huge clue about what's really going on. Yeah, so she's fingering herself to orgasm. This old truck pulls up, and it stops in front of the house. The dog, Hendrix, this beautiful uh, St. Bernard, just starts barking its head off. So Marie is, is, is finishes her, her masturbation session and she gets up and looks out the window because the dog's barking and she can see like this truck parked there. And suddenly the doorbell rings like insanely just the person just banging the, the doorbell. Well, the dad gets up. And puts on his little robe and, and goes to answer the door. He opens the door and this gentleman in his overalls is standing there. And before, I mean, the dad's like, can I help you? And immediately the man hacks him in the face with, with a like slices him across the face with a fucking razor blade. There's this really great shot of the camera, like moving through the house. 
Uh, it does feel a bit like of the era, but like it's like this nice fast zoom sequence through the house revealing that the father like turning around with a cut in his face. Um, it's it's pretty gnarly. Like this is the first of of an array of very brutal, brutal sequences. And and it's quite a shocking sequence. Like what is to come with the father being the first victim is really like, it's intense. The dog dies. I mean, right away, Hendrix is dead. I'm pissed about it because the dog seems so fucking pleasant. Better than the kid. I wish the dog would have survived over the child. Oh, me too. That child was kind of annoying. But yeah, the the killer, after he hacks the dad in the face with the with the razor blade, he reaches in and unlocks the door and goes in. And the dog immediately attacks him. And yes, if you're sensitive to dog deaths, we do see the dog, the dog's body thrown to the floor as it's dead. The dad is trying desperately to climb up these stairs, but the this intruder, this man, grabs him and forces his head in between the railings, and he even like stomps on it to get it in there. So that, you know, it's his head is like stuck in there. It's not going anywhere. And then proceeds to take a large, like knock everything off a large dresser cabinet and run it full speed at this father's head, ripping his head off of his neck. I mean, it, it shows it like if you're watching the uncut version, you see the head literally like rip off. It is quite gnarly. There is this really phenomenal like aerial shot from above where you actually see like the head, like the neck bend and give way and the head like flatten. I mean, it is extremely violent and one of the standout shots within the film. Um, One thing I I, specifically like one thing I want to do with this film is now that we've watched it a multitude of times is I do kind of want to pause every once in a while and be like, okay, so where do we think Marie is at in comparison to with what's happening right now? Cause this is the first point in the movie in which what's happening with her technically can't be what is actually happening in reality. So she's killing this guy. I think what is actually happening is when she thinks she goes upstairs to start flicking her nip nips and uh, hoo and ha-has and touching on things and playing and diddling and all those things. You know what I'm saying? She's fingering herself. I think she's doing that. Outside. I think with the moment she sees those dark brown areolas that her object of lust offers she's immediately i think launched into a sexual tizzy and i think like i think with marie i think her mental instability is triggered by her sexuality in the sense not even being a lesbian just like as soon as she starts to go to these intense sexual places these thoughts i think it starts to trigger this other personality for her which is this murderous man that comes about but so i mean i'm assuming that she just stays outside she doesn't actually go inside and diddle her hoo-hoo she is outside this whole time she transitions into her other mentality and she just walks up to the house rings the doorbell the dad opens the door because he thinks it's her and she fucking just slashes him in the face that would make sense to me because everybody in this movie is very easy to kill, by the way. Like everyone, I think they see her, they open the door as you do. because She's a friend of the family and she's just killing people. I mean, I think that makes the most sense. I think, yeah, the minute she saw Alex nude, it launched her into this secondary 
personality, this killer. And that's kind of what triggered this whole family massacre because she's seeing something, she's seeing beautiful Alex, and then she's remembering, oh, wait, we're at her parents' house. I can't just go up and have my way with her because her parents are home. So I got to maybe take out the threat. So yeah, and this, I mean, this commotion, there's a lot, this dad screams, like when he gets slashed in the face and you hear like, all this commotion everyone wakes up except alex she never fucking wakes up she hears all the people getting all this commotion she never bats an eye but the mom wakes up and 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 you know she she goes down the hallway the little boy comes out of his room and she's like tells him to go back to bed and as she's walking towards the stairs she sees the dead body of her husband in the in the stairwell and that man down at the bottom with holding the razor blade and there's this cool thing he does with the razor blade where he's he always wipes it against his uh, overalls you know so you hear that noise you hear it a couple times throughout the film and it's real effective and then he like goes up the stairs all this time marie is upstairs in the guest room listening she knows something's going on so she is super quiet but she also tries to call for help she finds a phone she traces where the phone line's supposed to be and she's trying to move this this big dresser to be able to plug the phone in. And she hears all the while she hears the mother being brutally attacked and then go quiet and then hears footsteps coming up the stairs. So she has to take this moment to very smartly make it look like nobody else has been in this room. Like she, she hides all of her belongings. She remakes the bed. She dries the kitchen or the bathroom sink and everything. And then hides as the killer comes into the room. There's one thing you said earlier that I think is worth noting here, where you talked about how sometimes the pacing of this film can almost honestly kind of be almost borderline boring. And I think there are times that the pacing is not hitting completely for me. Um, And there's other times where it works in its favor because A moment ago, this whole thing kind of coinciding with her sexual awakening, aligning with the killer showing up, honestly, looking back in retrospect now, I think could have maybe been edited in a manner that would have been a little bit tighter and helped, I think, have certain things make a little more sense, coincide a little bit better. It seems a little loosey-goosey the way these events transpire and when she's jumping back and forth between personalities. It really does. Like, I think it could have been a little bit tighter. But right now, this moment here, where they really take their time and let it linger on her realizing that the killer is slowly approaching, having to reset this entire space and the, the attention to details like her wiping up the water in the sink to make sure it doesn't look like someone just used the sink. All of the little things she does here, because it takes its time, because it's a slow burn moment, makes for this moment specifically to be very effective. And she does seem very smart. Her choices here, her decisions here, what she does to hide, she thinks of the things that most people I think would not think of in a moment of panic. And I do appreciate that about her character. Yeah. And I did mention before we started this episode about the pacing issues, because you just, you just kind of asked me real quick, Hey, you know, I hadn't watched this for a while. And I was like, yeah, I hadn't either. And I, yeah, I adore this film when it came out and I will still defend this film, you know, forever. But this viewing, these subsequent viewings for this podcast, I did find the pacing to be a little slow. It could have been picked up quite a bit, especially this whole opening. This whole house sequence goes on for so long. Uh, I don't think it needed to drag out this long. And I do want to stop and make the comparison because I know um, this comparison has been made many, many times. And, and Alexander Aja has recognized it. And so has Dean Koontz. You know, the author Dean Koontz, right, Roger? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a b- novel in 1995 called Intensity. Have you read it? No. No. Um, it's basically this exact story. <laughs> I mean, it's two two f- college female friends go to a country house. Uh, a serial killer breaks in during the middle of the night, kills the family, takes the girl. The other girl has to basically track him down. Uh, and, and Alexander Eja Eja admitted to reading this novel and kind of taking some of the concepts of this film from that book. And Dean Koontz was going to sue him, but then decided not to because he said this movie was just trash anyways, and it's going to be forgotten and he doesn't want his name associated with it. So he never did. But uh, it's really interesting because I, when that, when that controversy first started happening, I got a, I went to the library and checked out Intensity to read it. And yeah, it's very similar. In fact, the character in Intensity does this exact same thing where she makes it try to look like nobody was sleeping in the guest bedroom. Dean Koontz was kind of an influence for this film heavily. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, so she does do all this cleaning up and stuff and she hides, she hides and the killer comes in and he very slowly walks through the room. He's checking the bed and we do notice several times that he has some prominent rings on his finger two fingers which i thought was interesting because marie also has very large prominent rings on her fingers so it's kind of a visual connection there but he goes into the bathroom he checks it out he lifts the mattress up to see if anybody's under there we don't see anything but when he puts it down we see that marie is in fact under the bed and she lets her leg stretch back out and he goes he leaves the bedroom and she uh, is safe under the bed. So now Alex is still sleeping, fast asleep. The killer goes into her room, caresses her with a wa- uh, razor blade. She wakes up and he immediately gestures Shh, to her. Marie's back in the bedroom trying to move that fucking dresser to plug in the phone. But when she moves it, she realizes it's not the phone plug. It is the TV plug. I appreciated watching this moment and and acknowledging you know his very specific sense of style um that this moment with alex waking up is very similar to his moment in hills have eyes where you have the whole sequence of the girls in the camper you know being woke on woken up and looking up and seeing the you know the mutants like hushing them and everything before they all start fucking screaming and panicking super similar in his approach uh to this uh, creepy moment. You're right. The, go- the girl can sleep through fucking anything. I mean, she literally just heard both of her parents massacred. I mean, though, we do find out her mom is still kicking. This poor fucking woman. Jesus Christ, this woman. I mean, give this woman some peace. The way <laughs> this gal goes out, my God. Yeah. I mean, speak of the devil. Yeah. She, as Alex comes out of the room and creeps downstairs and she runs into the parents' bedroom to get the phone, but the phone is not in its holder. And all of a sudden she hears somebody loudly coming into the room. So she runs into the closet to hide and it's the mom. This mom is still alive. Uh, the mom grabs the phone from the side of the bed and is going to call 911 when the killer comes in all this time. Marie's in the closet watching this happen. The killer grabs the mom's head, rips it back and slashes her fucking throat with this razor in extremely brutal fashion. I mean, she, I mean, she, you see the cut, you see the gash wide open and she falls into the uh, closet door, falls down to the ground. You hear the killer get down on the ground and you hear just like him sawing at her and the mother gurgling. And it's really disturbing. Blood is spraying everywhere. It's quite the brutal scene, especially when Marie comes out of the closet and we see this broad laying on the f- bedroom floor with her throat. Like she's almost decapitated. 
uh, her hand has also been cut off. That's what he was cutting off was her hand. Her hand is laying by the phone receiver. Uh, it is one of the more violent visuals I, I remember seeing from anything that came out of this era. I mean, this throat cut is is pretty fucking mind-blowing. It's deep. I mean, it, there's definitely either got to be like a digital element to this if this is not actually like a... Uh, puppeteering or a piece of a fake body or something because you see like you're right you pretty much see through the woman's throat so it's it's really impressive however they pulled this off because it looks fucking great again when we're talking about the inconsistencies we can't help but acknowledge you know there's this whole moment where marie is hiding in the closet and makes eye contact with the mother and the mother sure fucking seems to make eye contact with her and I don't know. I mean, like when you consider what here is actually happening, Marie is actually sawing the head off. So I get it. Marie thinks she's hiding in the closet, but the mother, I just don't think would, would be staring into her eyes if she wasn't actually in there. I don't know. Maybe I'm asking too many questions. There is one little detail that I do like though. And it's when the mother is bleeding out and dying and Marie runs up to her and she's like trying to comfort her. You can hear the mother say, why? Like, why? Like, why did you do this? Uh, it's very subtle because the woman can barely speak because she no longer has a throat. But it is one little subtle detail that like if you're piecing things together, it's something worth noting. There's a few little moments in dialogue where they also say you'll hear like a character refer to the killer as her or she. A few times, if you listen really closely, that comes up in some of the dialogue, too. Um, but this is one moment where it definitely seemed like there was a connection between two characters where they acknowledge that Marie has done something. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, so we, we she, try, she also tries to use the phone. She can't. The phone doesn't connect. And then we hear, like, running. We hear footsteps running, and it's little Tom. He's out of his room in his cowboy uniform. He runs outside. And he starts screaming for his mom, mommy, mommy. Of course, the killer goes after him. Marie finds Alex in her bed, chained up now. She's chained up. She has a gag in. Um, and she's telling Alex, it'll be okay. I'll get you out of here. When we, again, hear Tommy outside screaming. And, and uh, Marie gets up, looks out the window, and she sees Tommy run into a cornfield. The killer grabs a shotgun from his truck and proceeds to go into the cornfield. We hear this child being shot. I do like the fact that I don't know if you caught this or not, but this this gun actually the gun that is grabbed from the truck is actually hanging on the wall in the house. It's not actually in the so if you're when you see them come into the house and they're walking through with the dad, the shotgun is hanging above the fireplace. So again, kind of another little clue that, you know, eh. um, but yeah, this, this killer literally shoots this little boy in the cornfield. Looking back on it, you know, they don't really, you see the kid, I think, look up before one of the gunshots goes off, but like you, you don't see any of it, which I mean, I never really want to see a child be murdered. Let's be clear. Um, but, uh, this is one of the moments that I remembered. I thought I remembered it being a lot more violent than it actually is. It is all just implied, which I'm fine with. Um, they do kill a child in this movie. That alone is shocking. Um, but yeah, I mean, this whole moment with him running through the cornfield and Alex like hearing it and breaking down, one of, I think, the best played elements of the film is Alex m gagged for a majority of the film with a big tube 
piece of rubber tubing through her mouth, just her big old teeth chomping down on it, sobbing the whole time. Her reactions when you're watching this for the first time, she just seems like she's absolutely just going like out of her mind, losing it over what's happening. Watching it back again, it's very clear that she is reacting the way she is out of just shock and disgust towards Marie. You know, it, it, she's not necessarily uh, catatonic. I mean, Alex actually quite is quite capable of defending herself later in the film when it gets to that point. But up until the point that Alex gets free, you really just think that she is just so overwhelmed by everything going on around her that she is incapable of saying or doing anything or reacting properly to Marie. Yeah, and it's quite, yeah. Watching it subsequent times, you definitely pick up on the fact that she's terrified anytime Marie is near her. She is absolutely it's terrified. And it's of Marie, it's not of this man because he doesn't exist. Uh, so the killer comes back inside. Marie has been trying all the phones. They don't work because the lines have been cut. So the killer goes, gets Alex, and carries her out, and puts him in the back of her, his truck. He goes back inside for a final look. So Marie is still lurking around. She gets a knife and goes outside. Um, and this is when the killer goes to the fireplace and finds this family picture and proceeds to cut Alex's face out of his family photo. All while Marie is getting in the back of the truck to help Alex. So when the killer comes out, she's literally in the doorway of this truck, ready to stab him, but he slides the door shut and locks her in the back with with Alex and drives away, leaving all these dead bodies behind. So we do get a final glimpse of all the dead bodies. So we see the little boy's body in the cornfield. We see the dad. We see the mom. We don't see the dog ever again, but I'm fine with that. The poor dog did not deserve to die. I do think that some of these moments that, you know, you've got now that she's within the vehicle um, are pretty well played. Like this whole sequence of, of her holding the knife up, like you think she's ready to stab this guy and he shuts the door and locks her in. Uh, the timing of it is really good. So they do a really good job um, at this point moving forward through the majority of the film moving forward. They do start to pick up the pace on a lot of these sequences. I And now that we're out of the farmhouse, things are moving and shaking. We have spent roughly 42 minutes of the film approaching the farmhouse or inside the farmhouse. Now we're finally hitting the road. And once these fuckers hit the road, shit gets, shit gets a lot more violent. It gets a lot more intense. And it's picking up the pace. It moves at a quite a fast pace now. Yeah, once we get out of that farmhouse, just that farmhouse scene is just so long. But but once we get out, yeah, he's driving on the road. In the back of the truck, Marie keeps assuring Alex that they're going to get out of the situation. In the front, we see the killer take the photo that he cut of Alex and stick it on his visor with several other different photos of women insinuating either he's done it before these are women that he or she has an obsession with i don't know what to make of the scene but it obviously is hinting at this has been this has happened before maybe not to the point of murder but marie she's the killer has obsessed over women before is that what you gathered yes that that is definitely something that i you know formed within my head as well. And I need little things like that to make this film work for me, like really, really work for me. So I'm happy that you kind of see it the same way. Um, in my mind, this is something that has been on the cusp of happening for a while. I think she has been obsessed over many women before and not been reciprocated once. And I think this is just 
this was the event that it was the straw that broke the camel's back, you know? Now we get this gas station scene uh, that also is kind of quite long. It's not nearly as long as the farmhouse scene, but this goes on quite a while as well. As the killer pulls up to get gas, as you would, uh, Marie's able to pick the door lock and get get it open. So while the killer is pumping gas, she literally takes the opportunity to sneak out of the truck and go into the gas station. And I like this moment where she's creeping slowly towards the gas station because she sees the attendant right inside and if she's halfway there all of a sudden we hear the gas pump stop and we know and it's real loud and it's real pronounced and so we know shit this fucker is going to be coming in right now so she has to hightail it into this gas station runs in frantically this poor this poor uh gas station attendant come on he was just trying to do his job but she runs and he's like what the fuck and she's like please call the police and uh, she goes and hides behind some shelves in the back. Poor Jimmy. This poor fucking Jimmy. This is interesting as well, Roger, because when you talk about something that I wanted a little bit maybe explained to me, when the killer comes in, he says, hi, Jimmy. Like he's familiar with Jimmy. Like he says his name. And there is like the sense of familiarity between the two of them. I, I was trying to figure that out. Like if we're looking at it, Marie really killed him. She's the killer. We see that. But like, is this just in her mind that she was friendly with this guy? I, I was trying to figure this particular point out. The relationship between that's built between Jimmy and the killer seems very familiar. Yeah, I think these are the moments where the film falters when it, you're trying to sit and explain the rationale um, of all of this. Because in my mind, even if this is another personality of hers, the things that she's saying and doing and interacting with these people, I would think would still have to remain somewhat true. Um, but it, apparently from her angle, she's seeing a conversation happen between these two that does, you're right, sound very familiar. It's clear this guy has interacted with this Jimmy before. But then you balance that with the fact that the mo- the movie is at its finest, at its strongest, whenever you have moments of Marie going into stealth mode and survival mode. And like you use the example of her like sneaking across the, the big open parking lot as the fuel tank is filling. And when you hear it stop, you're, you mentioned that moment. Those are the moments where the film, I would say, becomes a, a beautiful piece of just cinematic uh, tension. And, and I mean, it's high tension. I mean, it's living up to it. Like you're getting the tension and you're getting it presented in a very cinematically a visually sumptuous manner. Even this gas station looks great. This location, this dreary, gross gas station is great to look at. So like you're, you are balancing great visuals and moments of suspense and intensity with plot points that do not exactly line up. And I guess it makes it a little more palatable because they're doing such a good job with these moments. But it's a little bit just too loose. The story at this point is too loose for me to completely buy into it. Yeah. And he's making small talk with Jimmy about, Hey, do you bring girls here? This is the perfect place for you to be able to bring girls and, you know, and have your way with them. And Jimmy's like, "Uh, no, my boss would fire me. He's like, Oh, what about those rich old broads that come through here at night? I bet you they're, they want some of your services. So it's a very sexually charged conversation he's having with Jimmy and Jimmy's like, Oh, so they go to the counter. The killer is going to pay for his gas, but he starts looking at sunglasses and Jimmy notices the blood all over his hands. So now he's really connecting that this guy has done something to this girl and the killer asks for booze. 
So Jimmy has to go to the booze cabinet, unlock it. And he, Jimmy several times has looked to where Marie's at. You know, he keeps glancing over there to see if she's visible. When he gets to the liquor cabinet to unlock it, he turns his head and looks at her and she sees him and he kind of winks at her like, hey, I got this taken care of. Well, the killer comes up behind him, startles him. It's like, oh, no, I don't want that brand. Can you can you get me the other one? So he Jimmy puts it back. and He's like, I'm not supposed to be selling alcohol this late. I, I, don't tell my don't tell my boss. And the killer's like, oh, I won't. So he turns around with a new bottle and immediately in Jack Nicholson, the shining style, Dick Halloran is axed in the chest violent as fuck he flies against the booze cabinet glass shatters he, i mean he's he's drooling i mean you get a full shot of the killers like with his, all of his might pushing this axe into his chest deeper to the point where jimmy falls on the ground the killer steps on him to make sure that the the axe goes deeper into his chest so fucking violent all while marie looks on I think there's something really to be said at this point about the audio within this film, because like when you want to talk about meaty, bony, crunchy, just again, visceral audio, like this movie has some of the most like grotesque sounding bone crunches, fleshy, pulpy, like you are hearing all of it when this guy is like, bleeding out like yeah you're right he's drooling all over himself he's like gurgling and it's just ugh. it's not only is it disgusting to watch it's disgusting to listen to so i really do appreciate the audio beginning to end over the course of this film it really enhances the experience yes the audio work in this film is 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 great even like i mentioned with the, the mother's death scene when you hear the killer sawing her hand off that sounds disgusting but the killer yeah i mean but we do notice that there is a camera that is watching this whole thing unfold in this gas station. And you're right. This gas station is massive. Even the fucking bathrooms are like a fucking maze. This is huge. It's a great location. The killer go after he axes Jimmy, he goes, turns the clothes sign on the door, shuts the lights off, gets the ax. And as he's walking through the gas station, he asks out loud, what were you looking at, Jimmy? What were you looking at? So this killer saw Jimmy looking at Marie. So the killer is going to tune in that there may be somebody else in, in this gas station. In the meantime, Marie has snuck out of the store part into the bathrooms. Like I said, these look like a fucking, these look like subway bathrooms. I mean, you have to go downstairs. There's two of them on each side. They're massive. She goes into one and hides in the stall. And again, this is a very slow, slow scene as the killer goes into the one bathroom and we literally watch him kick open every door and finally get to the last one. And we know Marie is hiding in the last stall. So we're like, Oh shit. When he kicks it open, she's not in there. He was in the women's bathroom. She ran into the men's bathroom. So she go, he goes into the men's bathroom and I don't know the choice to like, as the killer, like if you really think somebody was in the gas station, why you wouldn't check all the stalls in the men's bathroom too. But he doesn't, he, he pees. And Marie watches him pee, and then he literally leaves. I think at this point, they're structuring the scenes the very best they can to try to take you, the viewer, out of the mentality that she could possibly be the killer. Like, they are giving you some direct chase sequences right now. There is cat and mouse galore. She is hiding in the stall as she hears him pissing in the fucking urinal. Um, and then, you know, obviously he, he leaves, and she slowly like stalks out of the fucking stall and she's looking all around like 
you know, getting her composure as she hears him driving away. So you do have this very, like, very distinct cat and mouse sequence that I do think was intentionally played the way it was to, again, ensure that you, the viewer, would not even possibly suspect in any way, shape, or form that the outcome was going to be what it inevitably is. I do like these moment. The moment there's a couple of moments that I thought, as far as uh, Cecile DeFrance's performance, that were nice little touches. Like when he leaves the um, the bathroom, she's standing against the stall and she 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 smiles. Like she smiles. Like you can see clearly, she smiles. She's and you 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 interpret it as she's smiling because he left and she tricked him and she does it again like as she's walking out of the stall she checks all of the stalls on the way to the exit including when she gets to the last one right before you leave the this the bathroom she slowly does it because she's like oh shit he's probably hiding in this one if he's gonna be hiding anywhere and when she opens it he's not there and she smiles again like she's like yeah fuck it i got the best of you i tricked you i thought it was a neat little choice there's also this moment where she goes and she gets a drink out of the sink and there's kind of an implied jump scare that doesn't happen because when she sits up real well, there's a musical sting, but there's nobody behind her in the mirror like you would expect. And that's when you hear the the the, um, the truck pull away. The killer leaves. I think that's very intentional. They do that a couple times over the course of the film where they will have stingers or, or you know low ominous tones placed over moments of her like looking into reflections of herself or just individual solo moments of Marie, they will add these stingers that do give it this very ominous feeling where now looking back, I think it's almost because it's like the moment where she's snapping back to herself. She's coming back to herself. But meanwhile, there is, she is the darkness. What's happening right now is within her. So I do think those, those usages of those stingers and those tones is very intentional um, and is in its own way, kind of like a little like hint to the audience, like, there's a reason this was placed here. She is the villain, you know? Yes. And I guess that's my point to the people that consistently trashed this movie by saying that the twist comes out of nowhere. I will argue with you till the end of time that there are so many little clues, whether for fuck, whether it makes sense in the context of everything going on. Cause yes, there clearly are things that don't make a lot of sense, but when you structure a film like this and you're, 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 you're uh, putting all your, chips onto this reveal as the film. Yes, there's things that aren't going to be completely clear. I've questioned a couple of them myself. Again, I can I can accept Alexander Ahaj's uh, explanation that we're watching everything take place in her head, so it doesn't really have to make sense from an audience member perspective. But on the flip side of that, there are so many fucking clues that she is the killer. So I don't know how you can watch this more than once and say, oh, that reveal's dumb. It comes out of nowhere. No, it does not. From the music, from song choices that are playing over specific scenes, from from dialogue, there are several clues that Marie is the killer. It's it does not come out of left field. I will argue that until I'm fucking blue in the face. So she gets out of the bathroom. She she runs up to the to the desk, the the counter. She gets on the phone and she actually calls police. And she had to have really done this, Roger. Like, did you, did you catch that? Like she had to have really called the police because they show up to a gas station and they're, it's implied that they're showing up because they're, they know that somebody called for help from a gas station and they're going to all the gas stations they can. So during a moment of like her coming to maybe that moment in the bathroom where she lifts up real quick from, from the, um, from taking a drink, 
she becomes herself again and and her real self really does believe that she is being chased by this killer, right? So she would call the police, but it's such an interesting thing to to add. But again, it kind of makes sense from the perspective of now she's in her Marie mentality where she really does think that someone's trying to kill her. So she calls the police. She can't tell them where she's at because she can't she doesn't know. She said, I don't know the license plate number. I was in the back. I just know I'm in a gas station. He killed the gas station attendant. This 911 operator is being very rude. He's like, you got to tell me where you're at. Yeah. You, you know what? You're, you're very much right in stating like this is, this is again where like the timelines kind of begin to kind of go all over the place for me, you know? And, and I do think like maybe we're getting glimpses of what she experienced. Like you're right. She had to call the 911. I like the fact that she called the 911 on herself because she really genuinely thinks this guy is doing this, but then she immediately had to jump in that fucking truck and drive off. And I'm guessing that little yellow hot rod, I guess just didn't exist. You know, like, I guess that was just a figment of her imagination, which like maybe is intentional because it's such like a, like it's such a vivid uh, set piece or such a vivid prop to be using this bright yellow sports car. It is kind of contrasting against everything else you're seeing within the moment. So like, I wonder if it was intentional that they went with such a loud vehicle in that moment to begin with, because it is a figment of her imagination. What do you think? That's what I'm thinking. It had to be bright. It had to be sporty. It had to be fast. You know, she's trying to chase after this killer. But yeah, I mean, it is a, it is such an, it's such vivid contrast to this dumpy, dilapidated pickup truck that this killer's driving. So it's almost like, yeah, her, her real personality versus her alternate personality. Uh, her alternate personality is creepy, but her real personality is vibrant and stands out and flashy. But it's, it's, yeah, it's quite a choice. But yeah, the police can't do anything for her. She's like, maybe if I burn the fucking place down, you'd be able to find it. She grabs, she finds Jimmy's keys and she literally chases after the, uh, the killer in this little yellow hot rod. And, you know, you get this moment where she's following the killer all through, all through town. She also grabs Jimmy's gun. There's a gun laying behind the counter that she grabs. So that makes her even more bold. I mean, there's this maybe, I don't know how long you want to say this last 10 minutes of them just driving the back streets before finally the killer turns down a a secluded road and she drives past, but then shuts off her headlights and backs up to follow him. And there's this moment where she's like following him down the road and all of a sudden she loses sight of him. Like he's not there anymore. And she's like, what the fuck? He was right in front of me. And as she's driving, all of a sudden he appears behind her and we get this like cat and mouse road chase where he is pursuing her in this truck. She's driving this little hot rod, but of course it gets to the point where he's able to ram her off the road. And it, it's a pretty, I, I mean, this is a pretty hard car crash. Her car flies through the air, flips over and lands, crashes onto the ground in this ditch to the point where it catches fire. Um, and she has to crawl out. She's able to crawl out and go into these like old creepy deserted greenhouses. Talk about great setting, great set pieces, these fucking greenhouses. Fuck these things. I would be terrified of these. This whole sequence of the car, like, I mean, we are treated to quite the car chase. I mean, it. yeah, we were not anticipating that long of a car chase sequence in this movie, but here we are. And yeah, it, it, it makes for like this big sequence where the car like flips and yeah, you're right. It's on fire. And again, here's a moment where like she is, 
pretty severely injured here. Like, I mean, she has a massive wound on her arm. She is limping for the rest of the movie. And I guess one other question I have now is like, okay, so if obviously if this yellow car didn't exist, this accident didn't exist. So these injuries had to come about somehow. Um, and that's fine. But like, give me some context. Like, so then how did she get injured? You know, did she crash the van? Like what happened that resulted in her having this massive cut on her arm that she's having to bandage up in this greenhouse. Like it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing of her sneaking around. You're right. The set is phenomenal. You can't really tell what the fuck it is at first. It just looks like plastic tarp everywhere, but it is this massive abandoned greenhouse. It does make for a really stunning setting and in a big, you know, I don't want to say final sequence, final sequence in a way, um, before you have the reveal, but it is this final showdown between her and the killer. And I mean, what a doozy. This whole sequence is just full of stalking and suspense, and it is violent. And she really, I mean, for being what ends up being the villain, if she didn't turn out to be the villain after this whole sequence, she would be one hell of a fucking final girl. Because the things she does here, some of the choices she makes badass i mean she's a fucking badass oh absolutely absolutely but that is a big question where did she get these wounds because even when even i mean at the end of the film when she's approaching alex you know she's bloody her head is bloody she's been batter i don't know how that happened but yeah so she crawls into this greenhouse with the killer in pursuit the killer now has a flashlight and as she goes into one of these greenhouses she gets this weapon which is this wooden fence beam that has barbed wire that she proceeds to wrap around it. So she's making her own. What's that weapon in Walking Dead that Negan has? Lucille. She's making her own Lucille. So yeah, she's timidly sneaking around this greenhouse as the killer's flashlight beams are bouncing in the greenhouse next to her. And I like the fact that she is not like cowering away. She's actually going to the killer. Like she sees this flashlight and she has this weapon. So she is actually going towards him. Like she's going to go fuck him up. And she goes out into the second greenhouse where this flashlight has been bopping around. And when she gets in there, she sees that it's just this killer's flashlight tied to a string that he's basically let go like a pendulum, making it look like it's in motion. And she's like, oh shit. And then just then he comes up behind her and wraps fucking plastic top around her face and smothers her out to the point where she falls on the onto the ground i mean she is out she's not dead but he does take his razor blade out and he starts like rubbing it her up uh, along her stomach and her throat and he asks her what do you want from alex she turns you on doesn't she yeah she turns me on too and then he proceeds to like stick his fingers in her mouth and just like violently is like shoving his fingers down her mouth as he's getting ready to to cut her throat. So it becomes very obviously what he's what he's gonna do. However, she's able to f- reach over and grab this fucking rock and bash him in the side of the head with it. And he drops the razor and he's like stunned and blood is coming down his face. And then she gets up, takes that fucking pull with that barbed wire, and she beats the holy fuck out of this guy with it and we see it we see it it is fucking brutal the whole build-up here i was actually surprised that like for a movie that takes so much time with many of its sequences 
the the moment of her getting like choked out and passing out. I mean, she's out within seconds. Like I'm shocked at how quickly this woman drops, but she does she think quick and this whole moment of her like beating him upside the head with the rock and his stunned reaction. I really like how this is all played. I I will say like I'm curious as towards like the first really graphic shot of the bat hitting him in the face. You see it pull away and you see all of the holes, like, where the wounds are left. And I'm curious if, like, if any of this was early CGI or if this was completely practical. There are a few moments here I am curious if it might be CGI. Regardless, it's really well pulled off. I mean, this sequence of her beating him in the face, like, you do see the bat, like, yank away and reveal just, like, a really just brutalized, mutilized face. And it is really very gory and really... um quite shocking to look at and it just gets more shocking as she beats the shit out of them well yeah she beats him to the ground and she he falls back he has that plastic wrap covering his face and she actually like gets down on top of him and pulls it up to see if he's still alive and you know as as she drops the the tart back on his face and backs away he grabs her and starts choking her but she's able to then just grab the the tarp and i mean smother him to death with his fucking tarp i mean she is in beast mode at this point. And she, yeah, she kills him. She suffocates him to death with this tarp. And after she's done, she just lets out this guttural, guttural scream that is so just like chilling. Yeah. Her reaction here, it's it's quite animalistic. And, and if it would have, you know, if this would have been the conclusion of the film, I do think this would have made for a very satisfying final showdown. Again, there's still more to come, but this final moment between the two of them, there does feel like an element of closure for a moment because it's just such an intense sequence between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot of, or a lot of people that talk shit about this movie, I think would agree in terms of their enjoyment of the film, that it would have been better if the film would have just ended here. Like the credits started to roll. You, you got a traditional throwback slasher style film. Perfect. Played it, played it by numbers, but yeah, unfortunately or fortunately it does not end here because Right after this scene, it cuts to the police showing up at the gas station that we had the showdown at. And when they get inside, they immediately see Jimmy, who is dead on the floor. You know, they're calling in the DA and everything. And one of the detectives goes over to the uh, security camera and rewinds the footage to watch it. And what we see transpire on the video footage is it's actually Marie who fucking axed poor Jimmy in the chest. And after she does it, she kind of looks real creepily and eerily up at the camera like she knows like it's there, but she didn't have the good sense to to delete the footage. But yeah, that's that's your reveal. That is your reveal that Marie is the killer through this surveillance video of um, Jimmy being killed. If they would have had more opportunities to show us other things, I think the fans would have been a lot more satisfied. But literally like what you get are these two cops stumbling across this footage of her, you know, running in and axing poor fucking Jimmy to the chest and just then standing there wild eyed. And that's, that's it. And like, that's really all you're given. Um, And it's just, I, I think it just comes down to, it's just not enough. You know, like I want to know if, if, if it's going to be that this occurred within her head, I'll buy it. But I at least want to know, how it happened like give me some flashes of what actually transpired show me now this would be a perfect time for a grand revelation of just all kinds of things 
piece the rest of the puzzle together for me because it really is pretty bare bones. The single moment, uh, again, I'll roll with it. I buy it. Okay, like if that's your explanation, I'll take it. But I need you, the filmmaker, to work a little bit harder on your end to explain to me, the viewer, as to how we got to be here. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that does not happen. What we do get, though, is Marie opening the back of the truck and and telling Alex, it's me, Alex, it's me, you're safe now. You're safe, I'm going to take you. Alex is completely terrified and is like backing away from her, but Marie is like still adamant that she's going to save her. She basically unties her, gets her all untied, and, and that's when Alex screams at her get the get away from me get away from me and she holds the knife because she remember she has this butcher knife she pulls a knife on her and she's like you fucking bitch get away from me and marie's like i don't know what you're talking about i killed him i killed him and marie's like you killed my fucking family and like slashes her in the face with the knife and then plunges it in her stomach like she literally stabs marie in the stomach with this fucking butcher knife cecile de france does a really good job of as soon as you have this revelation that marie is in fact mentally unstable like when she plays this whole moment of her like stumbling upon alex she's just beaming wide-eyed thrilled to see her and there is definitely some crazy in her eyes Now that you watch Marie and her body language and how she carries herself and even in the expression she makes, there is a constant level of instability, the constant level of just unstable, there's something wrong behind the eyes that you can pick up on really easily, even when Marie is technically herself right now like they do intentionally it seems uh i would feel they almost had to have instructed her to now kind of bring that more to the surface moving forward with her with her performance of the character because she's been great this whole time but marie definitely does take a dark turn here you know you do start to see this 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 whatever baby schizophrenia whatever it is it's definitely surfacing now and her character becomes far more menacing for the rest of the film. Well, and it's it's sort of sad because she legitimately doesn't believe she she legitimately believes that this other man is real and that he's the one that killed Alex's family. She's pleading with Alex. So when Alex stabs her and slashes her, her reaction is like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you did that. Why would you do that?" Uh and Alex takes off running and we get this I don't know how I feel about this, but I guess it, it's kind of to highlight the fact that she does have two separate personalities that come out depending, depending on the the emotion. But what they do here with this scene, this chase scene through the woods, is the killer goes to his truck and gets out this circular saw, this like cement saw. And as he's chasing Alex to the woods, it, it keeps the image keeps switching back and forth from the guy, the male intruder that we've thought was the killer throughout the whole film to Marie, just depending on different shots. Like one minute it'll be him. He's like, Oh, you're a little, I'm going to kill you. And then it'll switch. And it's just Marie running with the sauce saying, Alex, come back, come back. I'm not going to hurt you. It's real weird. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that choice because at this moment we know that Marie is the killer. So I don't know why we have to like switch back and forth. It just became weird, awkward, cheesy. I don't know the right word. I was just not a fan of this choice. I find him significantly more threatening or intimidating than her. So, like, I don't mind revisiting him again. 
Um, and I do think that we, the audience, are supposed to now connect the two that, oh, okay, she's in his mindset. So right now we're seeing it from his perspective. So I, I, I don't mind that. What I do mind is like, where the fuck did this circular saw come from? Like the tr- even the truck in general. Still, I still have questions about the truck. The pictures of the girl's faces hanging in the truck. Was that truck just strategically placed there that she knew it was coming? Like, I don't understand how this truck came to be a factor. But okay. But let alone there's this big fucking circular saw that's just there waiting to saw somebody up. Whose saw? Whose saw is this? Where did the saw come from? That's my gripe with this moment. I'm going to assume that this was the family's truck and the saw was the father's because remember the conversation earlier and it's very like this film is light on dialogue. So I'm assuming everything that's said is said for a purpose. And remember when Alex told Marie that her father has spent the last several months remodeling this house. So I'm assuming that saw is from his remodeling of the house and that the, the truck is the family's truck. And that's where it came from. That's my assumption. I could be wrong, but like, and I get what you're saying about the, this, the choice to switch back and forth between the Marie image and the killer image. Yes. I think the male killer is far more intimidating only because I never got to see Marie go full batshit crazy. So I thought this would be, would have been a really good opportunity to let us see Marie as herself, just go full batshit crazy and jump on the hood of this car and saw this guy as Marie. I think that would have been super cool. Would have been again, would have gotten the same point across to the audience that she's been the killer the whole time. But let's see her have a moment of just going over the top batshit crazy without being this guy, even though I get it. He's her alternate personality. But what happens is Alex runs out into the road. This car's driving by and swerves and goes into the ditch. And Alex gets in the car and it's this poor guy. This poor man was just trying to drive to work or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he can't get out of the ditch and here comes the killer out of the woods with this fucking saw and proceeds to like jump onto the back hood of the car, crawl off, run across the roof, get to the front of it, bust that fucking saw through the window and literally saw this man to death for what seems like hours. I mean, this blood is all over going spraying all over the car, spraying all over poor Alex. By the end of the scene, she is covered. I mean, she looks like Carrie White. I mean, she is covered in blood. Her performance in these last few minutes of this film is stellar, honestly. Uh, you buy every emotion, every like she is freaking the fuck out. I mean, he goes, Marie goes to town on this man. I mean, he saws the shit out of him. This is definitely one of like the standout, most memorable moments of the movie. Uh, uh, if I see anything in montages or like best of reels or whatever it may be, it's this scene. And understandably so. This scene is so brutal. Um, it's not just like the gore aspect. It's again, the audio, the sound of the, the windshield busting in, the metal of the car being sawed through. Like there's so much going on. It's extremely chaotic. It's masterfully shot and it's very, very gory, but you don't actually see a ton of penetration shots with the, sh- with the saw into the flesh. Most of it is just the saw covered in blood smashing through the windshield, which is terrifying in its own right. This man definitely had plenty of time to get out of this car and run away. This bumbling obese man running up with this buzzsaw. I mean, he's coming from like a mile away. They could have just taken off by foot and they still would have beat him because he's running with this gigantic fucking circular saw. But I mean, okay, whatever. This whole sequence, it, it definitely, in the sense of being like a grand finale, 
does pay off. And for your point being as valid as it is, because I do agree, like I would love to have seen her have the chance to go full, just bat shit, like sawing somebody up, seeing her in her full glory do it. Um, I really, really like this whole moment of, you know, you have the killer, he's looking through the car, he notices that that um, Alex is now not in the vehicle. So he looks through the, the windshield and he sees that she's dragging herself across the cement. And she has this really brutal wound where there's a piece of glass through her, like her Achilles heel. Oh my God, it makes your asshole clench. Ugh. But the way they transition it back to Marie is you have this slow stalking sequence. You have the killer slowly closing in on her. He starts speaking to her, um, making very uncomfortable commentary and dialogue to Alex about you drive a woman crazy. He says, you drive a woman crazy, you little slut. Do you love me? You don't love me, do you? And then finally, you get this really nice tight shot of Alex and you see Marie like lower into it covered in blood and it becomes her again. And it was a very, like, I think artfully played transition back to her. It seems very intentional that they did it that way, but your point still stands. I would love to have seen her have one moment where she was just full on killing somebody. Yeah. I mean, she's demanding that Alex tell her she loves her and she's like, Oh, you don't love me. And Alex starts screaming. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, Maria comes into frame and literally starts to like kiss Alex, like try to force her kiss, like French kissing her, kissing her, licking her. And all of a sudden we see the back of the crowbar, like like, emerge from uh, Marie's backs. Alex has plunged this crowbar through her body because when she got out of the car, when she crawled out of the car, she grabbed this crowbar and she's she's had it with her. And yeah, that scene of her pulling that fucking glass out of her heel. It's so uncomfortable. But yeah, so she stabs Alex and, you know, there's this moment where they're just like sitting they get a wide shot of them just sitting there and Alex is almost like, or Marie's almost like falling into Alex's arms and Alex is just rocking and they're sitting in the middle of the street and Alex just starts repeating. We hear as the camera pulls out and to give us, Alex just keeps repeating. I won't let anyone come between us anymore. I won't let anybody come between us anymore, which is how the film started. And we cut to Marie in the hospital room. So she is committed to the hospital. She's sitting on the hospital bed. For some reason, Alex is there to visit her. I I don't know. Your guess is if someone slaughtered my whole family and tried to kill me, I don't know that I'd be going to visit them in the hospital. But she's she's there. Maybe she's there to like tell her story. I don't know. But she asks. She's standing behind like single glass. And she says, can she see me? She can't see me, can she? And it's supposed to be one-sided glass. And right after she says this, Marie slowly turns her head over, looks towards the glass, the one-sided mirror, and just like all of a sudden outstretches her hands like she wants a hug. And that's the end of the movie. I remember this final shot really like leaving me feeling very uncomfortable the first time I saw this, where she just outreaches to her um, almost like she's completely oblivious to everything. And she's just... I mean, she's gone. I mean, she's completely gone. And all she fucking cares about is this obsession she has with Alex. And like, if that's the note we're going to leave it on, okay, like that's definitely like um, an interesting kind of uh, note to conclude on with this character whom we've been following through the whole progression of this film. And now for the last like 10 minutes of this movie, she suddenly has become the villain and like a relentless one at that. 
So it, 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 it does leave this strange, like, pang of humanity with her character. You feel this element almost of sympathy where you're like, she's so oblivious to everything that she's just, all she sees is Alex. She can sense her. She can sense her through the glass. She knows that she's there. But yeah, it's, it's an uncomfortable ending. I don't mind it. Um, but again, you know, looking back at everything that's transpired up to this point, I think there are so many opportunities over the course of the film up to this point to give us some more connective tissue that would have really made for this to feel like an altogether uh, more cohesive and, and thought out piece of cinema. It's great. It's shocking. It's startling. It's fun to watch. Uh, it does lag it a bit. I think they just missed a lot of opportunities for making this just a more structured and intentional piece of cinema. I really think they could have capitalized on a few key moments in this movie and had certain things tie together a little bit better that would have left for a more satisfying experience for a lot of viewers. And I do kind of understand why so many people come back to this with gripes. No, I get it. I get it. I absolutely do. Because it's almost like you don't like to be tricked, right? It's like when you're and you're a viewer and you're watching something and you're invested in it and then it ends up that it, what you have been seeing is not real. That's why I hate, I fucking despise movies. Generally, there's only a handful of them that I like that we were watching it and it turns out to be like a dream sequence. I hate that. I hate that because you become invested in, in what's going on. And it's the same thing with this film. I mean, for 95% of this film, you are watching a very, uh, for the most part, yes, there are some pacing issues, but you're watching a very like hard hitting, brutal slasher film that not only harkens back to the slasher films of the eighties, but all, but just amps it up 20 fold. And so when you're so invested in what's happening and you think, oh my God, this is a new horror icon villain that I can get behind and it ends up not being and everything you've witnessed you think is fake, I, I think it's it's really easy for you to be like, oh, well, that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It comes out of nowhere. But if you give the film another chance and go back and watch it, at least you will see, I'm not saying that everything that happens in the film makes sense. I'm not saying there aren't plot holes. There are. But you will at least see that there are clues galore that Marie's the killer. They probably could have tightened it up. I mean, it wouldn't have taken a lot to maybe fix some of these plot holes that we use to uh, to say that this film doesn't make sense or that the killer reveal doesn't make sense. It would have been very minor things that could have fixed that. But at the end of the day, you just... You just got to go with it. And I mean, like you said, it's a it's a it's a fun film to watch. It is tension filled, hence the name. Um, there are some great scenes, some great shots, great gore. That final battle in that greenhouse, as brief as it is, is well worth the the watch of the film. You know, I can't I can't hate this film because of the reveal or the twist, because so much other stuff in this film is done right. The acting is on point the cinematography, the special effects. I'm not going to hate the film because the ending might not make complete sense, but yeah, the vitriol that this film gets because of the ending is, is strong. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what would have, I guess people just wanted the film to end when she killed him. I, I think that I agree. I I'm on the same page. Uh, you know, my, the, the positive takeaways I have for this film definitely outweigh my my issues with it. 
Um, I think exactly what you said in that there was just, there were plenty of opportunities for them to just have done more. And it almost feels like they kind of just got a little lazy with some of that connectivity. I think they could have so easily given us a few more key things that would have made it feel again, a lot more cohesive, but end of the day, when I sit down and watch this movie, I have a great experience. Um, I do still kind of marvel at some of these sequences. That's that throat slash. Oh my God, it's so grotesque. Like, I really want to know how they pulled some of these things off. Um, there is a like digital, like when you look at like the crew, the cast and the crew, there's definitely somebody that was uh, handling some of the digital effects at that point. So like, I am curious of what was digitally enhanced because I think I still think it was subtle enough that it wasn't misused or overused. And so I'm like kind of curious to know like what was green screen here, what was not that throat cut, like what was practical, what was not, because it's just so masterfully done. And, and it's one of my favorite, like I know this is an absurd title, but one of my favorite throat cut sequences of all time because of how it lingers, how long it lingers, how grotesque it is. So um, yeah, this movie definitely brings a shit ton of things to the table. You know, I, I definitely understand the gripes people have. I have some of them myself, but it does not water down the overall experience for me when I watch it. Same, same. Um, the the view the viewings for this particular episode, I wasn't as excited about the film as I was the first couple times I saw it. Just because, like I said, the first couple times I saw it, it was something that was almost not seen in the early two thousands. It was it wasn't another scream clone. It was something much more uh, violent and, and gruesome. So. When it came out, watching this, it was quite the quite the treat for for my little horror loving heart. Particularly, I love a lot of seventies Italian horror, and this definitely takes a lot of influence from that. But it also takes obviously influence from eighty slashers. There's a lot of references to various eighty slasher films in this film as well. I guess maybe now, I mean, if you if you if you hate the film because of the twist, well, you know the twist now, so watch it watch it again and just pick up on on some of the things the subtleties that are there to help clue you into it but also i mean pick up watch it as a as a example of a really good in terms of technical music cinematography example of of horror i mean i think this is something that could be could be studied by you know film indie filmmakers in terms of how to frame scenes and how to use music and, and motion and and whatnot and, and sound effects to to build suspense to build tension to build disgust in the viewer it's a it's a great great film in, in that regard i'm happy you picked this one and and i feel like we were owing some queer material uh i mean obviously all of june i was away and so we didn't really get a chance other than that great review we did of death drop gorgeous we didn't get a proper chance to delve into a, a properly queer title. So I'm happy that we got to have some hangover pride month coverage with this, with this film. I think it's been a long time coming and I, I enjoyed watching it again. Cause like I said, it had been a while. Um, I forgot how brutal this movie really was. So yeah, if you like your violent extreme European gore, this is going to check off that box for you for sure. If you somehow have not watched it and made it through this review, I mean, that really fucked it up for you in the sense of a viewer. Uh, but hey, at least you got some violence to look forward to. But I can't believe the film's almost 20 years old as well. I mean, it seems insane uh, that it's 20 years old and it's still as visceral as it was the first time it came out. So yeah, guys, I mean, 
High tension. There you go. We did it, Roger. We did it. We made it. Lesbians. We're here for the lesbians. Yes. We are here for the lesbians. And the truth. And I'm wondering, going back, I wonder if, you know, Alex going to visit uh, Maria in the hospital, that last scene is because she still feels, has feelings for her. Did you ever think of that? Why is she, why would she, maybe she's there because she still does have feelings for Marie. Well, you know me, I think these two are fucking lovers and friends. And I think that there is a lot more going on behind the scenes than what they hinted at with this movie. And maybe if this film was made again in 2023, uh, they would come at it with a lot more of the heavy lesbian tones. I would like to see just some fucking like bulldike lesbians fucking look like what's that movie with Charlize Theron monster monster. Yeah. That's how I want to see if they do a remake of this film. I want that caliber lesbian. I don't want beautiful lesbian with perky nipples. I want 50 something weathered and weary mullet, no bra sagging tits with that goddamn buzzsaw just running through the woods. I would watch that (laughs) all day. All day. Sounds delightful. It sounds delightful. It does. So guys, what are your thoughts on high tension and the twist ending? We know the twist ending is the is the centerpiece of discussion for this film. Do you think it makes sense? Do you think it's bullshit? Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts. Yeah, we did it. We made it through, Roger. So with that, that's that's high tension. We did. We did. And you know what? We're going to keep the good ones coming this month, Troy. I feel like with me having been away, we had to take some time to really ensure that the material that we're giving to our listeners is going to be, you know, up to par with their expectations. So we got another good one coming. But always, like, when aren't they good? When are we going to finally have a title where we're like, oh, God. I mean, I guess L.A. AIDS Jabber was one of those titles that... Bloody Murder. Remember that piece of shit? Oh my God. Yeah, there's a few of them. Yeah, there's a few of them. There are a few of them. But overall, I get pretty fucking excited for the movies we cover. And this next episode, I don't know, what do we want? Do we want to tell them? Do we want to keep keep them hanging on a moment like that song by Lifehouse? What do you want to do? Should we tell them what the next review is? Go ahead and tell them what the title is. You know what? I figured I'm going to go obscure. I think that Troy and I shine when we go for our most random and obscure titles. So I decided to pick the 1982 Alien Creature Feature Extro. Extro. Have you ever seen Extro? I have not. So guys, and I think this, I'm glad we told them what it was because we can prepare them to watch it if they haven't seen it. It's X-T-R-O, Extro. So if you haven't seen it, I haven't seen it. So this is going to be a new viewing for me. Go ahead and give it a watch because we are going to be discussing it next week. Yes, get ready for your practical effects. Get ready for your absurd storylines. Um, I really think this one is is one that if you haven't seen this movie, um, this would be really like a fun viewing and then reviewing with us for a first time because Troy has no idea what he's getting into and neither do a bunch of you, I'm sure of it. This will make for a really fun experience. I highly recommend you check it out prior. And also check out our Patreon for 60 plus bonus episodes and Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of them. All of them. All those things. All those things. And until next week, guys, when we talk about aliens and extra, which I can't wait, we will talk to you later. Goodbye. I won't let anyone stand between us. Troy. (laughs) Troy.